priesthood just now in the prayer. And so let's read these words together. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This honor, then, is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So I was curious this week, what is the largest anonymous gift ever given to a charitable organization? So I did some searching, and this is according to the internet, so take it for what it's worth. Uh, not quite there yet. Not, that wasn't the donation. No, we're not going there. <laughs> Hold on. The, in July of 2023, an anonymous donor of 2022 and 2023, in that span of a year, an anonymous donor gave $1 billion to McPherson College in Kansas uh, through a unique giving challenge. The two pledges uh, are among the largest private gifts ever received by an American college. In the understatement of the year, the college president said the gift would make a difference in the lives of our students for years to come. <laughs> I think you could buy them all a Tesla. Their endowment grew to $1.2 billion uh, over the course of the year. And I have to say today, it was me. <laughs> it was me. Had a cool billion burn a hole in my pocket, and I just thought, i got to get rid of this and offload it somewhere. <laughs> Why not rural Kansas? <laughs> McPherson College. Wash that money through a charitable gift. <laughs> no, it was not me. But to give anonymously... Is, it's a curious thing. You know, we live in a world that wants the credit. We want, to, we want to everyone to, to be seen, to be known, to notice. Did you know most of the medieval cathedrals that were built when they did the cornerstones, the, the foundation stones, um, the builders never signed them. So we don't know who built. For example, Notre, Notre Dame de Chartres, if I'm probably pronouncing that correctly, I'm a very southern person, Built from 1194 to 1220. That was the throw the picture back up. This is in France, the cornerstone. We don't know who built this building. Over the period of uh, 26 years, it was constructed. The architects did not bother to put their names. Why build a cathedral like that and not bother to put your name on the cornerstone? You're not going to get any lasting fame. You're not going to get any immortalized glory. And people can be perplexed by that, by these, these forgotten artists in the eyes of the world who labored in obscurity. They did it, and they disappeared. And that's not how we roll in 21st century America. And all this humility and, and being anonymous, it changed during the Enlightenment when a man named 
Jean-Jacques Rousseau wrote in his book Confessions in 1789, he, he dedicated it to me and to the admiration I owe myself. And we tend to write things that are done anonymously off, we tend to write them off as foolishness, worthless, even stupid. Why stay anonymous and do good deeds in secret for God? But see, it's God who sees all in secret, and he knows the motives of your heart. He knows and sees it and, and takes record of that. What if this is true? What if the, the unseen people of this world are actually the most seen by God? What if those who serve God in secret are doing it the right way? What if people who are like the words of Psalm 84, a single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. Essentially, the psalmist is saying, I would rather be a stone in his temple than live a good life in the homes of the wicked. I would rather labor in obscurity here on earth, like Brother Lawrence, a monk who lived in like the 14th century, who washed dishes and did it for the glory of God. I would rather be anonymous on this earth for the glory of God, that we forget that we serve a crucified Messiah who lived largely in obscurity, who was born under, under the cover of darkness, who, who labored in, in his younger years in total, being totally anonymous. And when he died, he died a criminal's death, mocked by the world, not celebrated, not championed. Almost no one stood there at the foot of the cross except for his mother and maybe John, the beloved disciple, and maybe Joseph of Arimathea. So even though he, lay, that he labored in obscurity, he did it for the Father. You know, why is it that people love to take the Lord's name in vain? Like, the, like Lord Jesus' name in vain, right? Why is it when you stub your toe, you never say, oh, Buddha? <laughs> oh, for, for Muhammad's sake. Why is it always Jesus? Why is it that the, one of the very things that God commanded us not to do in the Ten Commandments, take the Lord's name in vain, we do it? Maybe it's because he's the truth. Maybe it's because he is the answer. Maybe it's because we're rebels at heart, apart from him. And we don't, we're born into this world in opposition to the things of God. And it's the grace of God that's present every day on the face of this earth. He's infinitely more patient than any of us. And I mean, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. To the lost, and if that's you today, the Lord is calling you to himself. To the lost, you, we, we, we dismiss Jesus. We dismiss him. Oh, he did it. He labored in obscurity. He was just a guy. He was just anonymous. He's just like any other religious figure on the face of the earth. 2 Corinthians 4 says something otherwise. 2 Corinthians 4. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. 
Furthermore, in 1 Corinthians 1, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. And I know there's many believers in the room or at home today, but there's got to be somebody that, does, that you might know about Jesus, but you don't know Jesus. The longest journey is the 18 inches from here to here. And it's the, it's, the, it's the will of God, the love of God, the grace of God that wants you to know him, to see that the cross is not foolishness. It is the power of God to those who are being saved. God doesn't want anyone to head to destruction. He desires all to come to repentance, to see his glorious plan of salvation, to let him in, to let him in by choice, by your will, by your volition. I mean, look back in 1 Peter 2. Verse 5, like living stones, let yourself be built into a spiritual house. Let yourself be built. You know, things don't get built by accident. They have to be picked up by a builder and placed in just the right spot, right? They have to be measured and, and laid out and articulated in right, just the right direction. Clearly, we're, we're not just stones. We have autonomy. We have volition. We have agency. We can choose. We have choice. But can you imagine a stone saying to a builder, hey, hands off, buddy. Walk away. Don't touch me. Don't put me there. Like a two-by-four going, hey, ow, don't put that metal thing in me. I don't want to be next to that guy. It's similar to Isaiah 45.9. Woe to those who strive with your maker, earthen vessels with the potter, does the clay say to the one who fashions it, what are you making? Maybe you're in a place today where you are warring against your creator. You are rebelling against his work in your life. You don't want his hands molding and shaping your life. You've rejected his leadership in your life. This is not God's will for you. He wants you to lay down your arms. Armistice. He wants a day of peace, a life of peace, he wants you to live a life of peace, a life of freedom, to not strive against your maker. He wants you to know that when you lose your life for Jesus, you find your life. You find your purpose. You find why you were born and why you're here, that he'll direct your path, that he will make your way straight, that his leadership upon your life is gentle. His burden upon you is light. So how do we build our lives upon this cornerstone? Go back to verse 5. Offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And one way we do this is live humble lives of service to the Lord wherever we are, whatever we're doing, with our families, with our homes, with our lives, glorifying Him in whatever the circumstances we may face. Whether people acknowledge it or not, whether we get credit or not. You know, this, is, this past week has been very difficult for Wesley Memorial. I got a text last Friday morning that Frank Pifferetti had been killed in a car accident. I've never received a message like that where my legs literally got weak and I had to sit down and just pause for a second and take that in because I had just seen him the day before. And I had to process that. And then we got news that Michael Amos passed away, a wonderful friend of this congregation, an amazing man who helped found this service. I remember when the first weeks I'd been here, he came and met with me, and, and uh, 
And I learned a lot about him when he said, uh, you know, I, I visited, we visited every contemporary service within a 90 square mile radius or something like that. And he had this, he plopped this huge book down and it was all these Excel spreadsheets with all these metrics and rubrics and criteria. And I was like, man, this guy's brilliant. And he had like labeled like if people shook my hand when I came in the door and did they have coffee and, and all these things. And he had it all laid out. I was like, man, wow, wow, this guy's incredible. And he has such a heart and a vision and a love for the Lord in this church. And I remember after he got his diagnosis and I went and visited him at Forsyth Hospital. And you never quite know what to expect when you walk into a hospital room. And when I walked in and he's lying there, he had just had brain surgery. Like he just came out of it. And he looked the same. He was always, he was always this buoyant, joyous self. He's like, man, I feel great. He, he was like, how are you? How's, how are your children? I was like, you can't, don't minister to me. I'm here to talk to you. And he was just, you know, he literally had a bandage on the back of his head, but he's always had this effervescence, the joy of the Lord present in his heart and in his life. I mean, how do you chain a man like that? How do you kill a man like that? You don't. You can't. Why? Because of Michael or Frank? No, because of Christ in them. That's why he could persevere in those moments. That's why in the moment he could, he could offer a spiritual sacrifice to the Lord and go, you know what? I'm not living dependent on my circumstance. My life is not dictated by what happens to me. You are not who you are. You are not where you are, not defined. Who you are is not where you are, is what I'm trying to say. And who you are is not what other people say that you are. Who you are is what, who Jesus says you are. Come on, amen now with somebody. Who you are is who the Lord says that you are. And 1 Peter chapter 2 reminds all of us that you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, acceptable to God. And then if you keep reading 1 Peter 2, I wanted to mention this, that Peter felt the need to throw this in there. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And I just, I think so many people that they walk in shame, they walk with this sense that they are not enough. You wake up every morning and think, I'm just not enough. I'm never going to be enough. Well, the Bible says otherwise. It says that if you believe in Christ, you will never be put to shame. We have hard days, don't get me wrong. Some days I feel like the only friend I have that calls me is this guy named Spam Risk. My only friend. I tried to call back Mr. Risk. He didn't answer my call. But whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You're not a, you're not a people of shame. You're a people of freedom. You're a people that, that have received a glorious inheritance that nothing will, it will never be taken away from you. To, that we are people that have been called to leave a life of sin to give your life to Jesus every day, to build your life on his word. And as we come before the Lord's table this morning, let us come to him offering our spiritual sacrifices, which, friends, all we can offer is our lives. Maybe all you can offer him is your brokenness. All you can offer him is your sin. You're in good company. Because in those moments is the moments we find freedom. You can't find freedom until you acknowledge the problem. 
You can't find healing until you offer the illness to the physician. And so we would come before the table this morning. This is the Lord's table. All people are invited to it that repent of their sin and want to follow Jesus as Lord. These elements are for you. There's also a basket up here. We're taking up our uh, Consecration Sunday uh, cards. And if you brought yours, you can leave these up here as well. I'm going to invite Glenn Myers to come up, and I'm going to invite him to lead us in a time of communion.